All right, let's quickly go to 2 Kings chapter 5 tonight. 2 Kings chapter 5. Need to move right on. We're so good you're here. Glad you're here tonight. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 4 tonight. Very, very encouraging, simple, but very encouraging message tonight about a woman whose name we don't have, but her deeds speak louder than her name. Amen. And what a blessing there. 2 Kings chapter 5. Your neighbor doesn't have a Bible. Share your Bible with them, please. Make sure everyone has one. They don't have a King James Version of the Bible. Please share your Bible with them, please. All right. 2 Kings 5. Now, Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. But he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. Go down with me to verse 14. And we see an amazing thing. Naaman listened to the voice of that little maid. The Bible says he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want you to focus tonight on verse 2 and uh, verse 4, where all we know about this woman is she's called a little maid. And I want to preach you tonight a message entitled, Little But Able. There's nobody so little God can't use them. There's nothing so little God cannot bless it. And we're going to see something tonight again that's on the subject of faith and belief that just happens to be a part of our series that God will bless. Now, Father, meet with us tonight. I pray that you turn our weariness into liveliness. We claim Isaiah 40, 31 tonight, that they that wait upon the Lord. And certainly tonight as the word is preached and studied, we're waiting upon you tonight. Help us to be still and know that you're God. That they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Lord, renew the inner man tonight. The outward man may perish, but thank God the inner man is renewed day by day. And Lord, we pray that as we wait upon you, I pray that we can run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. I pray that we mount up wings like an eagle tonight. And Lord, we'd spread those wings abroad. And God, we'd soar the heights. And God, have an enlarged vision for our lives and the things to come. Undertake for our needs tonight. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Who would you consider the most influential person in your life? Is there one or more people that you can point to have had great influence in your life? And I'm certain for most people, probably a teacher along the way probably had great influence on you. Maybe a teacher that was just very charismatic in their approach and their ability, their ability to talk with students. I'm sure that may be true of many people there. I, uh, I'm thinking tonight of maybe a lot of us will probably think when we think of influence, maybe the thought may come to you like, who would you consider the most influential man in history? And as you consider a lot of the different lists and, that have gone around, you'll notice that most lists, the names that keep prop, uh, that come up most uh, notoriously or the names that come up the most prominently are names like the Lord Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, Martin Luther King, Aristotle, Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Alexander the Great, Darwin, Shakespeare, Gandhi, many names like that. And if you look at the first 25 to 50 names, the two categories of people that probably show up the most promptly on that list are, are men of religious influence or men of scientific influence. And of course, when you look at influence, and we look in terms of how they were able to impact their generation. 
Influence is your ability and my ability to lead and persuade other people to follow you. That's purely what influence is. Influence is leadership. Leadership is influence. It's your ability to lead and persuade other people to follow you. Influence is your ability to get people to accept your idea, to buy into your sales pitch, and to follow a vision. Everyone has influence. Everyone has influence. Everyone has influence, good or bad. Just go in the nursery. Spend some time in there. Take the nursery workers out. You'll find the leaders right away. Amen. Uh, you just go there. You'll find it there. Uh, this evening, we're looking at someone who had influence and very strong influence and will inspire us about the kind of influence we have. This person would not strike us as someone who is predominantly powerful or persuasive. And yet, by the very testimony this woman gives in verse 3, her testimony influenced a man to a, con- to, to a, a conversion. And this evening, we look at, a, at influence, and specifically, honing it down to, to where we're at, we're looking at so winning influence tonight. The influence of a young man, a young woman who's referred to as a little maid. Tonight, I want you to consider with me the thought, little but able. First of all, what you notice in verse 1, we start off our story tonight with a terminal sickness. We start off tonight with a story about a man with a terminal illness. The Bible says in verse 1, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, and he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. This follows last time when we read or we studied about uh, this man from Baal Shalisha who brought his offering of barley loaves and corn to Elisha during a time of famine. The famine is still going on right now and the, and the, and the sons of the prophets were fed. Not long after that, we find that, that, the, uh, that the prophet Elisha makes his way back up to Samaria. He's spending time over there and he's training and things of that nature. And down in Syria, we find the story just kind of takes a twist and draws us to this man by the name of Naaman. Naaman's name is kind of interesting. His name means pleasantness. Now, that's a good name. It means pleasantness. But his circumstances were anything but pleasant. Notice some things about Naaman from verse 1. First of all, notice this man was considerable. He was considerable in many, many ways. He was a man that we're told was captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was one of the go-to men in the military. He was knowledgeable. He was strategic. He had influence. He was a commander. Men would follow him. He was a captain. This was a man who was a confidant. Notice it says he was a great man with his master. By that, this means that he was part of that inner circle, or that council, those, those military and probably other type of advisors that this man, the king, had at that time. And he was a confidant to the king. He was very capable. He was trusted in his counsel and his advice. He was a man who was honorable. Notice the Bible says he was mighty in valor. The Bible says he was honorable. Uh, the nation honored him. The nation revered him. The people revered him. He was held in high esteem. Here was a man that was considerable. Notice this man was, was someone that people loved in that nation. He was considerable in many, many ways. We don't read anything about people despising him. We read everything about this man being honored. But notice something else. Not only was he considerable, notice this man was also a conqueror. Notice the Bible says, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now this is kind of a thought there in terms of the sovereignty of God and the providence of God working this man's life during a time when Israel had gone apostate and away from God. Israel, if you remember, still had their golden calves of worship. Israel, if you remember, still had not uh, uh, taken down all the, all the Baal worship. There was still idolatry going on. Now thank God, like this little maid, there were a few people that were faithful and still worshiped God. But this man was an instrument that God used to bring about 
chastening on the nation of Israel. Because the Bible says, by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Uh, this man won all of his military campaigns. He was well revered in military circles. He was called a mighty man of valor. He was not afraid to being on the front lines. He was not afraid to draw the sword. He was one to instruct. He was one to train. But he was also one to get his hands dirty. He was a mighty man of valor. Now, this man was impressive. We see a man who was a conqueror. We see a man who was considerable. But notice in verse 5, we see something that kind of troubles us. This man not only is considerable, he's not only a conqueror, but you notice in verse 5, this man is under condemnation. The Bible says he was a leper. Leprosy was an incurable disease. Leprosy was a slow, debilitating disease that wore away at the nervous system, at the flesh, the bones, and the organs of the individual. It was a slow, rotting death. People in the end stages of leprosy, their limbs would fall off. Leprosy was painful. Leprosy would lead to eventually you'd lose your nerve endings on your fingers and your toes and things like that. Leprosy was contaminating. It would cover every part of your body. Of the many, many diseases that were, that, that kind of were around that day, leprosy was one of the most feared diseases. In fact, so feared, we find at least one to two chapters in Leviticus dealing with the whole manner of just cleanliness and, and if you come in contact with a leper or how the priest was to detect if a person had leprosy or not. It was incurable. Leprosy was a terminal illness. This man had a terminal sickness. Leprosy made a person an outcast from society. Leprosy left a person condemned to die a terrible death. And as we've seen many times from the New Testament and the Old Testament, leprosy is a picture of sin. Sin is defiling. Sin is contaminating. Sin is condemning. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Every person who dies without their sins forgiven is condemned to spend eternity in hell. The wrath of God is on every unbelieving person. And just for a moment tonight, let's revisit some verses from John chapter 3 that remind us of condemnation, God's condemnation and wrath. You know, there can be such an emphasis on the love of God. We have, we contend to, to you, to be so top heavy on the love of God. We tend not to say anything about condemnation and judgment, but we would remind ourselves God is a God of justice as well as a God of mercy. And sin has to be condemned. You notice in John 3, 16, as Jesus is talking to the talking to Nicodemus, he defines in this matter of salvation. He said in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he said in verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's a blessing. However, verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, I'm going to challenge you tonight. When was the last time you showed a sinner who would not accept Jesus Christ, who would not believe him? When was the last time you showed them John 3.18? I'm just a thought for you. That's still the word of God there. Amen. And he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he believed, he, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I mean, it's just right there. It's not in your face. It's just telling that's the factual truth. John 3.36, this is what John the Baptist said. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. And he believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's why I'm so thankful when a person gets saved, we can take them to Romans 8.1, where the Bible says, Therefore now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Tonight, we see a man who had a who had a terminal sickness. This man was not going to get any better. If this leprosy persisted, he would not get any better. He was only going to get worse. This man still lived in the confines of this of the nation of Syria, but ultimately he would have to be an outcast. 
Ultimately, he'd have to live in a leper's house. This man, his situation was very, very bad. It was very, very terminal. This man was in a bad situation. We see a terminal sickness. But notice in two to four, verses 2 to 4, we see a second thing. Our attention goes from Naaman to this woman who's called the little maid. And I want you to notice number two, we see a timely servant. Now, the focus is on this woman who is a servant. She's called a little maid. The focus is on what she did. The focus on, is on her occupation. The focus is on how she spent her life. The focus is on what she is and what you and I should be. We see a timely servant. Notice this woman. We don't know her name. We are not given her name. It's not significant that we know her name. But we do know that she's called a little maid. And we notice tonight, from the perspective of most people, she would be called insignificant, unassuming, not someone you would think of as being powerful. But next to the Lord, God has put the spotlight on this woman and her influence on Naaman's life there. A woman that would be considered obscure, having great influence for the Lord. I want you to see how this little maid had a strategic position and role in the healing of Naaman. And how she speaks to you and me about the strategic role every one of us have in the sphere of influence that God has given us. The place where God has put you for His glory. First of all, notice this woman and her godly heritage. The Bible tells us, she was. it says in verse 2, the Syrians had gone out by coming. Companies and had brought away a captive out of the land of Israel. We're referred to the fact in verse 2 and in verse 4, this woman was of the land of Israel. Now that's significant to us because it speaks to us about her godly heritage. She was a young woman. She's not identified with her worship of Baal because I don't believe she worshiped Baal. She's not identified with golden calf worship because I don't believe she worshiped golden calf. She's not identified with Ashtaroth because I don't believe she worshiped that. I don't think she was an idol worshiper. I don't believe this woman was guilty of violating commandments number one two or three. I don't believe this woman was guilty of violating commandment number 10. She was just a young woman. A little maid was probably a teenager between 12 and 16. She was a young woman. When the invasion went into Israel, wherever her city was at, when the invasion occurred, the likelihood was she saw her parents put to death. They took the young people, made them captive. They saw them as indentured servants. They would enlist into serving them. And Naaman looked at her. He saw a girl that had good health. She had good color to her skin and probably thought among all the ones he picked, he said, I like this one, I'm going to take her and put her in ser- as a servant in my home, and she's going to serve my wife. And that's just what he did. And this woman, you'll notice her, as they looked at her, she's called a little maid out of the land of Israel. She was identified by her belief. She was identified by the fact she was a believer in the God of Israel. She was a believer in one God, one Savior, one truth, and one way. I wonder tonight, do people identify us as believers of God or just churchgoers? Do they identify us as true Christians or just nominal Christians? Do they do they identify us as people of God or just regular people? Do they see anything different between about us and other people who go to church? She was a believer in God. She was a believer with a godly heritage. Beloved, tonight, I'm thankful tonight we have a godly heritage. I'm thankful tonight. In fact, David calls it a goodly heritage. In Psalms chapter 16, verses 5 and 6, this is what David said. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Hey, listen, brother, sister in Christ. The moment we got saved, we became part of something, a, 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 a tradition of truth, of, of just great heritage. When we trace what we believe. Listen, we're in the same lineage as Abraham. We're in the same lineage as Moses. We're in the same lineage as David. We're in the same lineage as Daniel. We're in the same lineage as Ezekiel. We're in the same lineage as Jeremiah. Amen. We're in the same lineage as, as Samuel. Hey, listen. 
listen, we're in the same lineage as Peter and Paul and James and John. Listen, we're in the same lineage as Charles Spurgeon. We're in the same lineage as men like, like D.L. Moody. I'm saying tonight, when you think of these great believers, we have a goodly heritage in Christ. And I want to just bring it down even more specific. Thank God as we get down to Sunday, we have a goodly Baptist heritage. Amen. I'm thankful that as a Baptist, uh, we didn't come out of a, a Catholic movement of church. We can trace our roots back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Protestants can trace their roots coming out of the Catholic Church. The name means protest. But listen, we didn't come out of anything. We could trace our roots right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've not put on your reading list, especially as a new believer, we should be on your reading list once a year to read read the the the, the book the, the about that uh, J M Carroll wrote about the, the about the blood the trail of blood. You ought to read that just a reminder about our Baptist heritage and the great great suffering that Baptist forefathers had for taking a stand for the faith. There we have a goodly heritage. Paul spoke about the goodly heritage of his protege, Timothy. Listen to what he said about Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. He said, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that is in thee also. Can you imagine? Paul went down to the city of Derby, cities of Derby and Lystra, and preached the gospel. And these two women, a grandmother and a mother, uh, Lois and Eunice, very close. They, they got saved then and they influenced young Timothy and Timothy got saved. And Paul watched the development of Lois and Eunice and Timothy. And not before, not long after that, we get to Acts chapter 16. And there comes a report from the brethren there down at Derby and Lystra about Timothy and how he'd grown in the Lord and how he had a pagan father that was a Grecian. And yet in spite of that, Lois and Eunice and Timothy were just serving God and living for the Lord. And Paul started studying that young man and he said, you know, this young man's got potential and this young man's got hope and this young man ought to be a minute in the ministry and this young man ought to serve God amen and he inducts Timothy to go with him and Timothy's part of this 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 explosion of this church movement there on the second missionary tour he gets to see God at work he sees vision unfold before Paul he sees God miraculously saving Lydia miraculously saving a demon possessed teenager miraculously saving this jailer down in Philippi he sees a church developed down in Philippi he goes with them to Thessalonica he sees the church people getting saved and a church developed in Thessalonica he sees the same thing at Berea. He sees the same thing at Athens. He sees the same thing at Corinth. He sees the same thing at Ephesus over and over again. Timothy sees this. And Paul's watching him as he matures. And this is what Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.5. I call to remembrance. Now you got to remember, Paul was in a was in a Roman prison. He was in the Mamertine prison at that time. He's, he's in this place where he's awaiting his execution. And every day you could probably hear the executioner sharpening the sword, getting ready to behead him. And he thought about it. He's just thinking back of people and things. And he was at a low point in his life, a very dark place in his life, where the Bible says no man stood with him. All men had forsaken him. All his friends thought he was a jailbird. They started believing everything that the government said about him. He had been disparaged. He had been criticized. People left him. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And then while he was there in the quietness of his devotions that at night, he started thinking about Timothy. He started about thinking about people that were blessing to him. He started thinking about people that were nice to him. He started thinking about people that were blessing to him. And he thought about Timothy. And the one thing that stood out about Timothy, the second Timothy one five is the unfeigned faith of Timothy. Timothy had a faith that it followed the tradition of the Baptist forefather. Timothy had a faith that was on fire for God. Timothy had a faith that was filled with zeal. Timothy had a faith that was fueled by prayer. Timothy had a faith that was fueled by Bible reading. Timothy came from a long line of Baptist believers who believed in God and believed by faith that without faith it's impossible to please them. And he says, I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith of you and your mother and your grandmother. Wow, what a, you talk about what Paul thought about. I mean, Timothy, uh, he talked about this godly heritage of his protege, Timothy, there. How's your faith tonight? Is your faith unfeigned? Your faith on fire for God? 
your faith transparent. And he says here, he talks about the fact he's a, you know, we talk about a, 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 a godly heritage. We're talking about someone who's a believer in the fact that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't change. You know, and we talk about this kind of faith, is this kind of faith that this kind of person is a believer in the, that this person is a believer in the fact salvation is the gift of God. And everyone who receives Christ can never lose his salvation. A believer like that believes in the fact that we are saved through the shed blood and death of Christ on the cross. We are believing in the fact that God is the creator of the universe and that he's almighty and most high. There's nothing that he cannot do. Believe in the fact that God wants the whole world to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This woman had a goodly heritage. She came from the land of Israel. And listen, while she was down there, I'm thankful that she didn't let all the paganism of Syria corrupt her. She decided, I'm going to take what God has embedded inside me since a little child. And I'm going to make a difference here while I'm here in Syria. We see this woman has a goodly heritage. But notice secondly, notice in verse 2, she's graciously humble. They said they brought away captive out of the land of Israel, little maid. Of all things, God put her in the household of Naaman and she waited on Naaman's wife. Anything Naaman's wife did, needed, she took care of that. She was servant to a dignitary. She did what was ever asked of her. As a servant, she was available at all times of the day, not when she felt like it. As a servant, she was never absent without leave. As a servant, she had a duty to perform well each day. As a servant, she was entrusted with whatever matters Naaman's wife gave her. As a servant, she was entrusted with all the things that were in that household. As a servant, she was to be proactive in her duties. As a servant, she was allowed to see more than other people. As a servant, she was expected to be disciplined to get the job done without having to be supervised or micromanaged. As a servant, she was expected to perform without complaint or criticism. As a servant, she would always go back and ask Naaman's wife to inspect what she did, be sure was pleased. Why are you telling us that? Because that's what a Christian servant supposed to do God help us if people have to come and inspect what we're doing to find out did we give our best to Jesus just the very fact we serve the Lord of Lords and King of Kings we're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God and the Father by him and whatsoever we do in word or deed do all to the glory of God listen it ought to be that we ought to be above reproach we ought to do more than others listen it ought to be the Christian on the work side you stay longer than others and get in there before others and listen you work late at things you get your job done and you have a sterling testimony to someone who gets it done and does it with joy not without complaint and someone that serves God and loves God listen this woman wasn't big shot she was a servant she wasn't a CEO. She was a servant. And listen, isn't it wonderful that God recorded this woman in the Bible? Even though we don't know anything about her name, we do know something about her faith and her deeds for Jesus Christ. Paul spoke of a man who was graciously humble also. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to notice in verses 25 to 30, a man by the name of Epaphroditus. I told some folks on Saturday, I believe Epaphroditus may have been the pastor at one time of the church at Philippi. And Paul said this to the church at Philippi as he just had proceeded telling them about Timothy. And he says, I have no man, no other man like minded whom I will feel like I can send to you. And Paul was saying, listen, there's a lot of people I can send you. I know a lot of people in Christianity have a lot of good leaders there. But he says, a man that will take care of you, a man that will care for you like me. I don't have any other man in mind except for Timothy there. And you know, Timothy, he says, he's not an unknown quantity. He has served with me as a son with the father. He says, you've watched him. You've watched him shadow me and everything he's done. You've watched what he's doing. He's going to be a good representation. 
nation. Now Paul's talking about Epaphroditus, and he wanted them to zone in on Epaphroditus because here was another classic servant of God, a man who was graciously humble. Notice what Paul said about Epaphroditus, who would want to encourage us to stir us for this coming year. He said, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, notice, my brother, and companion labor and fellow soldier. But notice your messenger, he that ministered and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be less sorrowful. Notice verse 29. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. I like that phrase in verse 30. This man was at the point of death, and yet he kept on serving Jesus Christ. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty convicting. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. This man was already sick. He had some kind of illness and almost killed him. And Paul said, man, I got to be careful. He wanted to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi to take care of them. He says, man, this guy is a good guy. He was your messenger. He was your pastor. But he heard of my plight. And he came all the way over here to Rome to see me. And he came to minister to my wants. He says, when none of you would come, he came. He thought about me. He came to minister to my wants. And you got to remember, Paul was in a confined situation. It was not a situation that he could think very clearly out of there. And he was confined to two Roman soldiers. And here comes Epaphroditus to serve and minister to him. And he says, man, here's a guy who, who left everything he did just to come alongside of me, be helped me. I think of tonight as we go into our, our anniversary conference of our special speaker Sunday, who's a great preacher of God's word, Brother Jeff Copes. Brother Jeff Copes was a thriving pastor in his state there for many, many years. And when Heartland Baptist Bible College, which is a visionary work, and you've got to read the history and story about Heartland Baptist Bible College was pulled together. Now, God worked through Dr. Brother Sam Davison to bring the college from San Dimas here in California all the way over to Oklahoma City. And how God pulled together, they found an old abandoned building there that the charismatics had left behind, the guy that had that, that ministry called Feed the Children, and they had abandoned the buildings and all of that. It had just been abandoned there for many, many years. And Brother 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 Davis says they brought the school back. They had no place to meet. They had no money there. And they started inquiring in early June about, the, about that property. And amazingly, the property became available to them. They were able to sign a contract and get it going. And they had less than 60 days to get this building up to speed. And the members of Southwest Baptist Church jumped in. Preachers came from all over the, all over the country. People came. They brought their stuff. They were able to raise five $500,000 on the fly in just 60 days to get that college going. And listen, one of the great Bible college of our generation right now is Heartland Baptist Bible College. I was just talking to Brother Copes today, and I said, hey, how's the, how's the church planners conference going? Because we sent some money over there from our church to help some ch- church planners go along. And uh, he said, Brother Fong, he said, it's amazing. We're well ahead of schedule. We've already raised $247,000 to help church planners. He told me this story today. I was telling the staff. He told me a story today about a church that had uh, that a, a church planner was renting this church in, in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And this church uh, it had fallen into the hands of the of the uh, Seventh Day Adventists. Seventh Day Adventists are not Christians. Seventh Day Adventists are not saved. They don't believe in eternal security. And so it fell in the hands of Seventh Day Adventists. And, they, and the preacher started using this church recently. And he started finding out. He says, "Wait a minute! I'm going to chase the history in this building." He had found out that building had been purchased by Independent Baptist uh, believers years before the Seventh Day Adventists came along. And we don't know really what happened, but it fell out of the hands of the Independent Baptist Church that once had it. Fell in the hands of Seventh Day Adventists. And the preacher got a burden for it. And he asked him, "Hey, can I buy this building from you?" He had no money, but he had a lot of faith. 
They said, well, yeah, we'll be able to sell it to you. We'll do a lease with a purchase option with you. And he said, I'll do it. They said, how much? He said, how much? He said, $50,000. He came to the church planners conference ready to present his need that he had, he had a $50,000 need for that. And, and uh, Brother Davison was about to raise the money. So he did so. He stopped for a minute. He says, man, this man's made a presentation. Let's stop and have a word of prayer about this man's need. And they started praying. As they were praying, a man came up from the, from, from the back there and they came up. And they and they uh, they came up to Brother Cope and said, Brother Copes, don't raise the money. We came and already bought the money. And I said, what ministry was it? He told me the ministry. In fact, the ministry is a good ministry that's based out of Brother Lou Rossi's church. The man, I stayed in his house actually for three days when I was with Brother Rossi there. Uh, when I preached his missions conference a couple years ago. And this man is just a multi-multi-millionaire that God's blessed. He took all of his assets, bought some property and all the revenue off the property. He basically funds he funds church plants with it. Se- several hundred thousand dollars a year. Fun- he uh, comes out of that. All the rental income, he funds church plants out of that. And it's it's going all over the world and, and some of the works. If I told you some of the works, it's funny. It's amazing. And they had met just a couple of weeks ago and they said, we've read this man's need. We've already authorized. We're going to give him $50,000 out of this trust to help this man build the work. He didn't know about that at that time. He submitted an application. We didn't know. And that man said, don't do it. We've already got the money there. And as soon as they'd finished praying, someone got up and said, hey, we, you know what? The need's been met. They told the man the $50,000 is already here to help you with your need. Listen, he's going to take that building back. He's going to bring it back into Baptist hands and being a Baptist church there in Santa Fe, Mexico. And to prove that the God... The God who, who healed Naaman is the God who gave that building back to the Baptist there. Amen. But I think about Brother Copes who, who had a thriving ministry. And as the college was starting. God moved on his heart, just like Ed Pierce and a number of other men who had successful pastors. And I don't know how to explain it, but God moved on these pastors. You understand, pastors are independent men and pastors want want to do their own thing. And these men, God moved on and gave them. They already had servants' hearts and God moved on them to come alongside of Brother Davison and helping to build Heartland Baptist Bible. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen some great things. I've seen great things at West Coast Baptist Club. But I'm telling you, the, 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 the way they flow, the synergy, how things run in sync at Heartland Baptist Bible College, it's an amazing work of God. These men are, are dead to self. They're not fighting personalities. They're not trying to clamor each other. They're always talking about exalting Christ and man, there's a spirit of goodness around that thing. I'm saying, man, I think about that gracious spirit. That man's coming Sunday to preach to us and serve us. Listen, he's coming with the servant's heart. So was graciously humble. I want to tell you tonight, if we need anything for Heritage Baptist Church as we start this new year, we need servants of God. We need laymen who'll pick up the, pick up stuff and get involved and do their part. We don't need a bunch of big shots. We just need a lot of little maids. Amen. We see a godly heritage. We see she was graciously humble. Notice verse three. She was a gospel herald. Can you imagine this little maid every single day as she got there? She noticed something peculiarly wrong with Naaman. Sometimes when he talked, he'd probably put his hand over his mouth like this because he didn't want anybody to know that his, his breath was putrid and foul. And sometimes she'd look at him and she'd notice that he had a covering over his forehead because he didn't want to show that the leprosy marks were going. And she probably noticed that he, he started to cover his hands up because there were spots on his hand that gave indication he was leprous. And she probably noticed that he covered his body up a lot more than the average pit person did. And as soon as she started to realize, she listened to the talking and the speaking, she realized this man had leprosy and he had advanced stages of leprosy. And there was nothing she could do to avoid being in contact with him. She watched Naaman as his condition worse and declined each day. And listen, she was a captive. She was a slave to the system there. 
She had every reason, humanly speaking, to be angry because the system had acquired her and the system had made her slave. Let me tell you tonight, a lot of us might get stuck in the system tonight and you might have every reason to think, I'm angry, I don't like my boss and I don't like my my company, I don't like the culture and I like the... Hey, lad, listen, that's why the Bible tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. She had every reason to be angry with him, but she wasn't. She may have been, she may, she had every reason to have spitefulness in heart because most likely this man, if he was typical of most, most attackers that went inside of a nation, she most likely saw her parents murdered in front of her eyes. She had every reason to be bitter about her work. She did dirty work. She cleaned what was known in those days their modern sewage system. She'd wipe the floors. She'd be awakened at night. She'd have to serve every whim of Naaman's wife and the people of that household. She didn't have a life of her own. Basically, it's whatever we need any time of the day. She didn't get a day off unless they told her she could take a day off. She'd work seven days a week and then sometimes maybe 21 to 30 consecutive days during, during a month's time. But that's not what we see about this woman. Notice verse 3. She sent her mistress. One day, God inside of her, maybe inside of her devotion, she was praying, asking God for wisdom. And God started touching her heart about Naaman's condition. And she knew that she couldn't have access to Naaman directly. She, the only way she'd get to Naaman would be through Naaman's wife. And one day she came to her. And I imagine this woman came with a heart that was filled with compassion, a heart that was filled with concern. And she said this, if you can imagine the, if you can imagine the desperation and the urgency in her voice, she said, would God... My Lord with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. That's all she said. All she said was out of a heart of compassion. If only my master's, my, my, my mistress's husband, my master could go to the prophet Samaria. I know without any doubt he would recover him of his leprosy. I have no doubt that the touch of Elisha on this man's life could make a difference. What a testimonial that Elisha lived his life in such a way as a prophet of God that they knew that when he would pray that the dead would be raised to life. They knew that when he'd go to a city that he would change things. But listen, this woman who probably only knew about Elisha is what she heard. She's saying, what God, what to God? She said, I've been praying about this all the time. What God, that my master were with the prophet of Samaria, for I know certainly he would heal this man of his leprosy. She spoke with urgency. Hey, you know, a lot of times we witness and we, we, get, we adopt this new evangelical mindset. We, we speak about Jesus as the cool dude on the street. I'm going to tell you today, Jesus Christ is not the cool dude on the street. He's the blessed son of God. We speak about Jesus, but, well, you know, he's the man that God, he had the nails. Do you understand what our Savior went through when he suffered for you and me? Do you understand when he died for sin? He died for every rapist. He died for every pedophile. He died for every murderer. So that every man could get saved by the grace of God. And I'm going to tell you tonight, as you consider verse 3, what she said in that one statement is more powerful than sometimes the way we rotely go through the Romans wrote with, with the typical sinner. She saw this man's declining condition and she saw he was rotting at the flesh, rotting from the out, from the inside out. She looked at him and she said, what God, my Lord, with the prophets in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You know, that's what's saying to you and me for so many. What to God, you'd go to Jesus Christ. Jesus can save you from your sins and give you eternal hope so you can go to heaven. 
Man, we need to preach that with enthusiasm, excitement. People need to know we're excited about Jesus Christ. We're excited about salvation. We're excited about the fact we're going to heaven, that heaven's real. And by the way, heaven is real. This little maid shines like a city on a hill. And she adds flavor like salt on a piece of meat. This little little maid boldly speaks of and takes her place among the Abrahams and the Moses and the Joshua's and the Daniels and the Ezekiel's and the Peters and the Philips and the Barnabas and Paul's who are great gospel heralds and evangelists of their respective days. No wonder Paul, he writes about this in Philippians chapter 4. He says, you help those, those women who labored with me in the gospel. And I thank God for the women in this church who labor in the gospel weekly and faithfully, week after week. They don't get their names all bought anywhere. They don't take any pictures of themselves. They just labor and win people to Christ and say, Pastor, we want this person to Christ. And they're winning them over and over again. Thank God for those women. Listen, we need to labor and help those women who labor with me in the gospel truth. Gospel hero is a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Gospel witness is an inspired soul winner for the Lord. A gospel herald is just somebody who recognizes, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen. That one statement, notice her compassion. That one statement, notice her conscientiousness. Beloved, we pass people that are dying every day. Beloved, we pass people that are in terrible situations and we get this mindset. It's the world's mindset. The world's mindset. Somebody else needs to take care of it. No, you're saved. You take care of it. Amen. We need to take care of it. We need to do something about it. She's communicative in her witness. Thank God for tracks. Boy, if you can take that track just a step further and just say, by the way, can I tell you some good news on this? By the way, notice in verse 4, she probably is going to go down in, in biblical history. She's one of the great soul winners in biblical history. She not only was compassionate, she was not only conscientious, she was not only communicative, but notice in verse 4, she's compelling. She's compelling. <laughs> and one went in. I'm not sure who it was. They heard this woman talk to the to, to, to Naaman's wife. What to God? My Lord, what the prophets of for He would recover from his disease. I mean, she said it with such conviction. She said it with such compassion. She said it with such tears and such maybe a movement, a trembling in her voice. Listen, the Bible says in verse 4, it says, And one went in and told his Lord that his name and said, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. They said, well, we know there's something about that God that we can't figure out because whenever he gets involved, we lose our battles. Amen. Whenever he gets involved, man, he, he does something, turns us upside down. We've seen what he's able to do. He said, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. The land, and he's not talking about idol worshipers there. He's talking about the people, the true servants of God. Let me tell you tonight, God has always had his minority. Listen, the majority might go one way, but I'm going to tell you, God has always had his majority. He's already had his Caleb and his Joshua. He says, we are well able to overcome them. Remind of a little boy that was, I told the story before, a little boy that was walking the beach and it was one of those, one of those, those times when the, the water just washed a lot of starfish up on the shore. Starfish everywhere. 
It was early in the morning. The little boy went out there. He'd seen it the night before. And he watched it the day before. And he says, you know, I've got to do something about this. And he, he started getting up. And he started picking up starfish. And, you know, little boys, he started throwing it like rocks. And he'd pick up a starfish. And he'd throw it like this. And he'd pick up a starfish and throw it like this. And he's just going along the way. And there, listen, there are thousands. It was littered with starfish. If it was up to me, I'd take a flamethrower and burn them all up. Amen, you know? <laughs> he picks it up. This man's taking his morning walk, and he noticed all the starfishes littering the shoreline there. And he looked, and he saw this little boy there, probably about Joseph Tang's height. He saw this little boy flinging in there, and he says, hey, son. The little boy looked up. He said, yes, sir. He said, come over here. He ran up to the man. He was holding his starfish in his hands. He did so. Before he got to the man, he threw the starfish in the water. He said, little boy, what are you doing? Man, this place is littered with starfish. What are you doing? Don't you have anything else to do? I mean, it's early in the morning. Don't waste your... He said, I'm not wasting my time. So what are you doing? He says, listen, these starfish, they, they need to be in the water. They're going to die if they're out water. And he says, I'm just trying to help them get well. And I'm just going to get them one at a time inside the water. He says, he says, look, if there's thousands of these here, do you really think you can make a difference? And the little boy picked up one. He says, I can with this one. I can with this one. It just takes one that you can make a difference with. Amen. The little maid wasn't worrying about the lepers outside of that nation. She wasn't worried about the lepers outside of inside of Israel. She was not worried about people that were in some hospital. She was more concerned right at that moment. The man she had the greatest influence with. The man she had a testimony with. The man that she would stand accountable to God with one day because she had a relationship in that room. She would stand before God as to whether she said anything or did not say anything. And what mattered to her most was it matters to this man. This man is influential, but he realized money couldn't save him. Money couldn't help his situation. Status couldn't save his situation. Everything he had of this world would not help help change that man's situation. That's the problem with socialism. Socialism says, if I put food in your stomach and money in your pocket and I take from the rich to give to the poor, I'll better your situation. You will not better the situation. Unless you give them Jesus Christ, they're still sinners on the way to hell. This little maid was convinced in her heart that she needed to tell her mistress, that she'd make a difference for this one. Do you ever realize and think about this? That there are people that hang on every word that we give them. If you know, if you knew all this stuff that goes on in our church, and people come on a Sunday or a Wednesday, you wouldn't even notice they're here. They're hanging on every word. Hanging on every word. People can't make it to church and they tune in a live stream. They're hanging on every word. We have people watch us on live stream that, that watches in areas where there is no independent, fundamental, strong, fiery, Bible preaching church there that they're hanging on every word. So as you came in late, I was, I was telling the, the church earlier as we were going over a prayer page. Years ago, my, my wife and I, when, when, back when the college day, my college days, I, there was a woman that went to school at the same time, not really close to this person, but we knew them and very nice person, never married. And, um, you know, we kind of parted ways when the church started. We didn't really know what happened. And one day she kind of showed up a couple of times, came to our services and really enjoyed it. And as soon as we started having internet presence, she started focusing on the internet and we started having live stream. She started watching our services on live stream. And last year I got this really, really nice letter. I still have it in my office, uh, this letter this woman sent. 
And uh, she said, Pastor, Pastor Fong, she just wants you to know that, you know, just, you know, the Lord blessed me. I got inheritance and I, I relocated up to New York, upstate New York. And she says, you know, I, I live up here and, uh, and I try to go to church here. But she says, you know, really, God, God just touched me. She says, I was touched by the preaching of the word of God when I was down with your church. And she says, you know, I just made a point when I found out you, you live stream your services. I, I, I watch every service live stream. That's why I'm on top of our live stream, because people hang on every word. This woman last year, as we were taking her offering for the Giving by Faith Banquet, she wrote us and she said, Pastor, I just want you to know, she says, she just wants you to know that God touched my heart about that building. I, I, don't, I probably never get a chance to see it. If I ever come back to Barry, I want to see it. But she says, the Lord pressed my heart and God, God pressed my heart to give $1,000 to the building. Wrote her back a thank you. Said, thank you so much for caring about the church and work. And I said, I want you to know this is not for me. This is for the glory of God. I want you to know God, God, God's looking down from heaven upon that. And just yesterday, I got a message from Brother Danny. He says, do you know this person from New York? And I said, yeah, I think so. And he, I said, what did what'd you get? And he said, uh, first I said, is there anthrax in the envelope? Amen, you know? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no. And he said, uh, so he, he says, hey, this, this lady, she, said, she sent $1,000 for the Christmas gift for Jesus offering. Same lady. Watching live stream. Concerned about the work of God. 3,000 miles away from here. We'll never become a member of the church, but concerned enough about it. That says something about people's hearts there. This woman, if you'll notice her, she's a gospel herald. She said the most important thing that needs to be said. And then notice, if you would, as we look at this, notice she had a galvanized hope. The word galvanized means to be electrified or highly inspired. Listen, this woman was on fire for God. She was miles away from the land of Israel. But listen, you could be miles away, but don't let being away from your home affect what's going on in your heart. You can keep your fire for God. You can be far away, but don't be far away from God. Amen. This woman had a, she was, she had a galvanized hope. What inspired that woman to do what she did? She was on fire for God and she had faith in God. Listen, this woman is an example to me of great faith that we have a God in heaven who could save anybody and everybody at any time. She said, I know God can help you. Listen, I know God can help a drunkard. I know God can help a drug addict. I know God can help somebody whose mind is obsessed with me. Listen, God can take any of our situations. He can bring it under naught because his power is able to do so. And that's what she was saying there. She said, I believe. I believe in the power of God and the power of the gospel. I believe he can, this man can be saved. I believe his condition can be changed. I believe God can turn his situation around. I believe in the message I'm conveying. I believe in using my influence to win people to Christ. William Barclay, some of you, you know, read commentaries. William Barclay has a series of commentaries he writes. And I wouldn't read everything he has, but he had a really good illustration in one. He spoke about a boy that was in the state of Washington who was putting up some signs. And he was in that SeaTac area that a lot of you probably have driven through like I have. And he was in the SeaTac area and he was putting a sign that would point one way to Seattle and another way to Tacoma. As he's putting up the signs, a little bit of mischievous came into his mind. He thought, maybe I should shoot, turn these around so people that want to go to Seattle wind up in Tacoma. People that want to go to Tacoma wind up in Seattle. And then the thought hit him. This is a thought that came across his mind. How many people could I send down the wrong road if I changed the signs? How many people would I send down the wrong road if I change the signs? We 
When God calls you, God never uncalls you. Where he leads me, I will follow. And as Brother Burdell would say, what he feeds me, I will swallow. Amen, you know. <laughs> the little maid saw her road sign. Her influence is a road sign for God. She was a timely servant. Very quickly as we close tonight, look at what happened here. God blessed her faith. God blessed her fire. God blessed the fact that she had, she, she had boldness and spoke up. We see a terminal sickness in Naaman's condition. We see a timely servant, this little maid. But notice, we see a thorough salvation by the power of God. And very quickly, would you notice how, notice how God, working through this woman's witness, this man is thoroughly changed. First of all, notice a sovereign charge. In verse 10, he, he makes his way to Elisha. We're going to skip through some stuff. He makes his way to Elisha. And Elisha tells him a narrow way that he needed to get changed. He said, he sent a messenger to him and said, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, he knew in telling him that, 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 that Naaman would have some resistance to that. He says, Go and wash in Jordan. Listen, there was a sovereign charge. You know, people have a difficult time with being saved by grace through faith. They want to do good works. They want to do all these things. I'm going to tell you tonight, why would you want to do all these things if you can never do enough good works to appease God? Amen. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that when you know there's a God in heaven who already paid the price for your sins? But people are convinced they have to do it their way. And he gives a sovereign charge. Jesus gave a sovereign charge. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Listen, the sovereign charge is narrow, but the sovereign charge is necessary. You've got to come. Listen, it's like a man I talked the other day. He said, I believe in God. And I said, yeah, Jesus talks about you. He says, really? I said, yeah, John 14, 1. He says, ye believe in God, believe also in me. It's not enough you believe in God. You've also got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ who died for your sins. So he gets a spiritual sovereign charge. And notice in verse 11 and 12, we see a spiteful chagrin. I had this happen Saturday when I was just Brother Jerry and I were knocking a bunch of doors, talking to a lot of people there. And Naaman was wroth and he went away angry, away and he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the, of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You know what he's saying there? That's why a lot of people are attracted to the charismatic movement. They want to see signs and wonders. You know what Naaman was saying? I want to see and then I'll believe. And they, well, here's what, here's what, here's what uh, Elijah was saying. You got to believe and then you'll see. How is going to that dirty, muddy Jordan and dipping myself like this seven times? One, two, three. You thought I couldn't bend down. Now, four, five, six, seven. How's that going to make me clean? Well, it didn't make me clean. But I'm not in the Jordan. That's why. And he was angry. He said, I thought you were going to come out and call on God. And lightning would come down. you strike your hand over the place. And this leprosy would go away. Nice thought. But that's not the blood sprinkled away. And then he said in verse 12, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He almost missed his opportunity. 
They notice out of the spiteful chagrin, but notice a submissive choice. And thank God his servants believed. It's amazing people who have no name, but just have a simple faith. And his servants came near and spake him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith thee, wash and be clean? Well, that set him straight. He said, man, you came all the way out of here. It says, look, if the prophet wants you to do something great, would told you. He says, just, just, they said, you know, Mr. Mr. Naaman, just go to the Jordan. Go in, up and down seven times. Dip yourself seven times, okay? And what, let God do it. So he went, he went a little bit reluctantly, but he went. And notice verse 14, we see a supernatural change. He went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Listen, if they don't get saved according to God's word, they're not going to get saved. Being born again, of, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Okay? Except a man be born of water of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You must have the word of God. And the Bible says his flesh came again, like notice this, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. You read the rest of this, but he was changed. In fact, after he got changed, you know how he got, how, how do you know he got transformed? He wanted to give money to, to, to Elisha. <laughs> Actually, he came ready to give. He came ready to give. And I like Elisha's attitude. He says, no, I says, I don't do this for money. I appreciate today, uh, Mr. Schmidt had a, a plumbing problem, and I, I was busy with some other. I called Pastor AJ. I said, Pastor AJ, I said, do you, do you have a minute? I said, could you help me with Mrs. Schmidt? I can't get there to help her with this thing right now. I says, and she, you know, made it sound like there was a red scene in her living room, right? You know, she made it sound like there was a red scene in her living room there. And uh, Pastor AJ went there and got her, her her sink unclogged and fixed the toilet that was running over all this. It got all fixed, put some baseboards and things like that up there. And, you know, things were fine. Her daughter called me back because her daughter, daughter called and said, Pastor, you got to get somebody over there to help my mom right now. You can, here's my credit card and you, you can, you can, you can, my credit card. And here's the three digit number and, and you can, you, you can call a plumber and do blah, 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 blah. I said, stop. I almost said, woman, stop. Amen. I said, stop. But I said, stop. I said, listen, we'll take care of it. Pastor AJ took care of it. By the way, there's a lot of things he takes care of that I'm thankful for that you don't know about. She said, well, I want to give you some money. I said, we didn't do this to get money. But, but, but I pay people to say, well, you know, we're family. Wrong, wrong thing to say a woman that's very anxious at that moment. Amen. And she said, oh, okay. I said, look, look. I said, if you want to do something, I don't want to know what it is. Sunday's our anniversary. Give, give some money to the work of God. So I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it, okay? Oh, I'll write this and write this and write that. That's, that wasn't his attitude. He, he went to the man of God. He said, hey, listen, I got some change of clothes. I got a talent of silver. You know how much a talent of silver? That's 90 pounds of silver. Man, I wish he, would, I wish he was here for our building program right now. Amen. <laughs> Two talents of silver for that matter. Amen. You figure, okay? He got changed. All because of a faithful witness. You're, you're going to love Sunday night. We've got a portion of the service. Please do not be late Sunday night. There's a portion of the service that's going to electrify your heart. 
several things we're doing, but just don't be late for that. But just it's amazing what God does in people's hearts. Here's a conclusion. She was little. But she was able. She was salt. To a needy soul. An ancient king once asked his three daughters how much they loved him. One daughter said, Daddy, I love you more than all the gold in the world. The second one said, Daddy, I love you more than all the silver in the world. Third one came up, and she you knows this the third one's the one that's kind of just young and naive and kind of doted upon. And she goes, Daddy, I love you more than all the salt in the world. He got upset. <laughs> he was ready to just, you know, say, You're not part of the royal family anymore, you know? He got upset. You know, his chief cook was in the room when she said that. You know what he did for the next meal, which was dinner? He prepared everything, put no salt on it. He got upset. He says, what is wrong with this food? You've never done this before. Where is the salt? And then he thought, oh. He realized how important salt is, but how much we forget how important it is. And just as much as salt is important in food, salt is important in our society. Ye are the salt of the earth. If any man thirsts. People are not thirsty because we're not salty enough. Let's be salty. She's little, but she was able. May I encourage all of our soul winners tonight. First, may I encourage everyone to be part of soul winning. Let's have a great Saturday soul winning in, in contemplation of our 19th anniversary. And then for many of our folks who are shy and are fearful speaking, or just even fearful ring a doorbell for that matter, amen? Always remember to serve with this little maid. She did not have a track. She didn't have a script that was rehearsed for her. It came from her heart. In fact, what she said probably was one of the most powerful sermons recorded in the Bible. Would God, would God, my master with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he, I know, he would recover him of his leprosy. Do you have faith like that? Do you have faith that God is able? Little is much when God is in it. Father, today, thank you for this passage of Scripture and about this dear woman who exemplifies for us a great soul-winning spirit. Father, we need revival of soul-winning. We need a revival of evangelism. We need a revival of compassion and concern, conscientiousness, communication, and a compelling speech. Father, help us that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be accepted to you. Jesus looked on the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. Father, tonight, help us to just even look at the people around our neighborhood and just to be moved with compassion for them. Oh, Lord, not to see them as just neighbors and not to see them, your God, as just whatever, but to see them, God, as sinners who need your gospel. God, help us to make people thirsty for your gospel. Help us to be like this woman who is a great gospel herald. Now, Father, in a moment, we'll have the invitation. Help us be sensitive just to make a decision tonight that we believe the gospel saves. We believe that God can give us boldness. We believe that God can help us. Though we're little, we can be able. Lord, would you help us increase our faith? Help little children and young people know tonight they may be little, but they're able. Help, Lord, people who have speech impediments to know tonight they're little, but they're able. Help us who have little faith in our hearts know we may be little, but we're able in the Lord. Help us to just say tonight, we believe that we're more than able. Now, Father, help us tonight to just say, Lord, I'm little. Would you help me? We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. The piano's going to play. You need to come tonight. Would you come to me tonight? Little but able. If you feel feeble tonight in your soul, a great need for the Lord to help, would you do that tonight? Let's ask God to help our witness tonight. Too many excuses. 
too many interferences. Make time for the Lord. Witness for Christ. Little but able. Fathers, we approach the 19th anniversary of our church. We're so thankful and excited about people who've gotten saved. I'm looking around the room of people who've come to know Christ their Savior through the ministry of this church. All the circumstances that you use, Lord. And Father, there's a society out there, there's a neighborhood, there's a city that needs what you've given to us. Lord, we're little, but thank you tonight we're able. Give us grace tonight. I'm reminded of what one man said, that desperation is the doorway that leads to grace. We pray tonight that, Lord, you'd work in us. Bless tonight our decisions. Put a fire in our soul like this woman had. Help us have a gallant hope, faith, and fire combined together that you'd bless. Dismiss us in a moment with your blessing. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.